As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 42. We're going to look at a couple of passages from Isaiah. There's a lot of sharing the peace going on here. It's pretty awesome. And I noticed uh, that this flower again signifies God's blessing. We haven't mentioned it yet in the worship service. Catherine and Michael Briggs had a baby girl. Uh, there's finally a girl in that family, thank the Lord. And uh, um, it is Libby is her name. I think it's Elizabeth, so I don't have the information with me. If someone's got something better, I know it's uh, Elizabeth Briggs. I'm getting the th- thumbs up. Everybody's doing well. Let's just say thank you, Lord, for another covenant child here. It's an awesome. God's blessed us. Let's turn our eyes to the Lord and ask His blessing on the reading and the preaching of His Word. Let us pray together. God, the reality was just sung that You alone can save. That, Father, we can't save ourselves, let alone save our neighbor. So it becomes abundantly clear that You alone should be the speaker. That You alone should be the teacher. That You alone should be the reason why we gather. And Father, You have chosen in a mysterious way to use broken vessels to communicate Your truth. And so God, we would ask that You would do that which only You can do. And that is to speak through a broken sinner who desperately needs to be saved himself. Who can't save himself. So Father, would You, because You love Your people and You honor Your Word that's living and active, would You come with power through Your Spirit and would You open up our ears to hear Jesus' voice. Spirit of living God, would You shine light into our dark minds so that we could understand what Your Word means to us today and tomorrow. And Father, we ask that You would take our hearts and the hearts of unbelief and the the crustacean of sin that still remains, would You lovingly break them? And because You love us and You're gracious, would You give us a heart of flesh, a heart of faith? Father, would You allow us to be changed because we're with You and because You've healed and saved us today and rescued us? And can we walk in a manner worthy of who You are and what You have done? We pray that You and You alone receive glory Father, You and You alone receive glory. The things that are said that are true, use those things to make us more like Jesus. And the things that I say that are just my opinion, may they fall away. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. We're going to look at two verses today out of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 8. Written to God's people in captivity in Babylon. When things were going very bad and they wondered if God had given up on them, if His plan had failed, if they were no longer loved, and if those around them were more powerful than their God, we're going to look at two passages, Isaiah 42.8 and Isaiah 48.11. Let's be mindful that this is God's holy, inerrant Word. God tells us, He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. 
My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved images. Isaiah 48, verse 11, very similarly themed. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, bring salvation, for you should, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. May God bless the preaching of His Word. The construction of a mosque has made the news this week. Maybe you've known it, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've read about it, heard about it. Even our president has weighed in on the construction of a mosque that's being built in our country. Now, really, it shouldn't be necessarily newsworthy that mosques are built. We are a country that is, uh, celebrates the freedom of religion. Uh, yet, it's not necessarily that it's being built. It's the location of where it's being built that has some eyebrows being raised. Uh, the mosque is right next to the ground zero site of 9-11. A mosque is there. And it kind of gives us this weird feeling, doesn't it? What's, is, is that right? Is, is it right that that, that should be there? Is, it, does it make sense? Well, the nation of Israel, God's people, probably felt that weird feeling multiplied by a million because of where they were. Uh, they, they had been told that they were God's promised people. Uh, they had been told over and over and over again that their God was the God of creator and maker of heaven and earth. And that God's plan was to fill the earth with His glory. And now they sat with their harps hung in willows, their tongues sticking to the roof of their mouth because of how broken hearted they were. They sat in the midst of Babylon. And they wondered, has God forgotten us? They wondered if Babylon and all of the idols of Babylon had won. They wondered if it was all about the glory of Babylon. Had God given up on them? Had they lost? They were told over and over and over again. It was pressed upon them that their God was going to reign. That He and He alone was going to fill the earth with His glory, His renown, His majesty, His beauty. It was going to be on display for the whole world to see. For every nation to see. And now they sat in captivity because of their sins. Now, because of their rebellious heart, they were driven out of the promised land. And now they were weary, wondering, had God left the building? This is the context in which God wrote through Isaiah. And Yahweh says, the Lord says, I, in the midst of this, He says this, I will not share my glory with any other. It's beautiful. God says, I will not share my glory. He's basically saying this to God's people. It's beautiful because it looks like His plan had failed miserably. You know what God is saying? I am not failing. I can't fail. I won't fail. I will not share what I am, my glory, my plan with anybody else. Your circumstances may look bleak. They may look dim. You may think that this can, how can God rescue from here? But I will not fail. 
Listen, we got to begin here. Many of you need to be reminded of that this morning. I mean, many of your lives are, are, are framed. Many of your lives are broken. I mean, many of your you can't believe where you find yourself this morning. I know many of you can't. I mean, you got to say, are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me? I mean, what are you doing with my family? What are you doing with my job? What are you doing with my life? What are you doing with my thought life? What are you doing, God? Are you kidding me? Has your plan failed? And he says, no, my plan won't fail. It may look bleak, but no worries. Just listen, lean in, Orangewood family. God tells us today, I win. And I will not share my glory with another. What is God's glory? It's one of those, those churchy words, you know? It's one of those words that we always use and rarely define. You know, it's one of those things, may the, you know, the glory of God fill the whole earth. What in the world does that mean? What does this word glory mean? Well, in the Hebrew, uh, kebod is the word that is used for glory. And you ready for this? Really, the literal meaning, what it really means is this. It means heaviness. Or weightiness. That is the basic meaning of this. And it's really talking about heavy in this sense. Of heavy being the ultimate. The ultimate mover or shaker. You know those people that sometimes we see with authority that have it. They are the heavy. They are the mover. They are the shaker. You don't want to think heavy here with obese. It's not saying God's gordo or God is obese. It's saying basically God's authority... God's heaviness, God's reality, God being the ultimate, he will not share. The Septuagint translate that word glory, doxa, it could mean a transcendent being deserving honor. Certainly that's our God. The heavy, the ultimate, a transcendent being, the being that is above every being that deserves ultimate honor. Spurgeon talked this way, a preacher that lived in England and was used mightily by God in the 1800s. Thousands would come hear this man preach. He's changed my life. I read him every day. But Spurgeon says that God's glory, God's glory is the result of his nature and acts. Now let's start putting these things together. I mean, what does it mean for God to be the ultimate, to be the heavy? What does it mean to be God, to be the ultimate transcendent being? What does it mean that God's glory is the result of His nature, or who He is, and His acts, what He's done? You see, by nature and by His acts, God is the heavy. He is the ultimate mover or shaker. I mean, let's, let's, let's just get right down to it. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, really, by God being God, by being infinite and eternal and almighty and, and, and all-knowing and all those things that make God God, makes Him the ultimate, the ultimate heavy, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate decision-maker. And His character and His acts cr- proclaim that He is ultimate. But by His nature and acts also, He is the ultimate being that deserves honor and praise. Man, we forget that sometimes. I, Is it really true that we aren't the ultimate beings? That it's not about our receiving honor and praise? Uh, Slap on the back and good job and that of boys that ultimately we are here for this ultimate being's glory that he and he alone gets the honor and praise? That's what Jesus talked about when he was on the Sermon on the Mount, when he was on that mount giving that amazing sermon. He said, may they see your good deeds and the things that you do and you know what they should do? They should slap you on the back and say, well done, you're an amazing person. No, 
They said, see your amazing deeds. They said, man, praise God for who he is. Praise God for what he has done. So Spurgeon's really onto something saying that glory should be seen in God's nature and in God's act. By his nature and his acts, because of who he is, because of what he has done, the whole earth should be filled with his glory. The whole world should be filled with his weight, his presence, the ultimate nature of who he is. We're going to look at three things today. The, the, the grace of God not to share his glory. Pretty clear. The verses we read in Isaiah, he says, I'm, I'm not sharing this. Uh, we'll see the grace of God that actually does share his glory. Then we'll look at the call of God. What is our role in this whole thing? If he doesn't share it, yet he wants to fill it. How in the world does that happen? And where's our role? And those are the three things we're going to look at. Let's begin with this way. The grace of God not to share his glory. There are things that a parent should always provide for his children. There are things that parents should always be giving to, sharing with their children. It's right and it's proper. Things like love, unconditionally. Man, how we stumble with that sometimes. Letting our children feel like they'll be loved and accepted and appreciated if they reach this level. But truly, as good parents... We should be giving to our children love that is unconditional. We should be providing for them shelter so they feel secure and safe. We should be providing for them food and nourishment. I mean, it makes Oprah when we hear about parents who aren't doing these things, right? And we really all just want to spit and say, are you kidding me? I don't care if they were foster kids. I don't care if they were adopted kids. I don't care if they're natural kids. Are you not feeding your kids? Are you not loving your kids? I mean, it it should just boil in our stomach when we hear of abusive kids and say, God forbid that a parent, and God forbid that a parent would put a child in that kind of situation and, and abuse them physically and, oh my goodness, God forbid sexually or mentally or, or anyway. I mean, there's things that parents, really, all of us, should be sharing with our children. Love, support, food, shelter, safety. But there's things... That parents should never give to their children. And I want to tell you, one of those things is being the heavy. One of those things is being the decision maker. One of those things is really being the point and the purpose. It seems like we culturally have lived in an age where we are idolizing our children so much that we're giving them things that we shouldn't, that God hasn't prescribed to give to them, that really isn't according to his plan, and that's killing our kids. And it includes that they are ultimate, that they are the heavy, that they're the point, they're the purpose. Oh, how we love them. But they can't ever live their life for one nanosecond thinking that they're the point, they're the purpose. God is. And God has entrusted you honor. He's entrusted you to be the heavy. And as parents, we got to make sure that they are even when they whine. Even when they want, you know, I, I can't believe how often we see a, a parent who says no and you can't do this. And what's a child respond? Well, I want to do it. I mean, I'm going to whine until I get it. And eventually a parent says, forget it. Okay, go do it. You see, whining shouldn't change the fact that we're the heavy, nor should any situation in our lives with our children change that we're the heavy. There shouldn't be a situation in which we find ourselves where they are ultimate. Okay, let's link the dots here. 
It's true with God. It's true with the ultimate Father who always does right, who is right in His character, in His being, in His actions. Perfect. He will not share with us being the heavy or the ultimate or the decision maker that's primary. Even if we whine. And even if we kick and scream and say, it's not fair, I don't like you for doing this, I really wanted that kind of life, I really wanted this kind of spouse, I really wanted that kind of job, I'm going to whine and whine and whine and whine and whine. And he said, I'm not going to share that with you. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I am God Almighty. You're not ultimate. Even situations, circumstances aren't going to change the reality that God is ultimate. I tell you, it's hard sometimes. I've been through them, and you have too. There's times like, God, what are you doing? Let me have the decisions for a little while, because it seems like you're like sleeping or just thinking of somebody else. I mean, don't think that you're really on your A game, God. Can I be the ultimate for a little while? He says, no. I will share my glory with no other. God has shared with us all that he can lovingly share, and oh, how he has lovingly shared it with us. Do you know that we're made in his likeness? Do you know why God's so down on abortion and and killing? Is because we reflect who he is. That there is great worth in us, even uh, his glory in us, because we reflect him. I mean, he's shared with us what is ultimate. He has shared with us his image. He has shared with us his eternal love. He has shared with us support and shelter and safety. He has shared with us his own son, his own son's blood, his own son's righteousness. Is this God an amazing sharing God? Yes. All that God can share with his family, he will. They're called communicable attributes. Big kind of theological name. It's those things that God has that make him a loving, wonderful being that he will share with us. God's able to think, we're able to think. God's able to love, we're able to love. He does it perfectly. We do it not nearly as well. But he shares with us all that God can and should share with us, rightly. But there are many things that God can't share with us. Sometimes theologically we get confused that God can't. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things God can't do. There's more things that God can't do than we can't do sometimes. It's true. Let me tell you some of those things. God cannot share with us those things that only he has that make him God. God cannot share with us his glory. He cannot share with us for being, making us ultimate. We can't be king of kings for one day. Because why? Listen, if God makes us ultimate... Guess what? He's just committed adultery, idolatry. He has just made us an idol. He alone is supreme. He alone is ultimate. He can't do it. He can't make us ultimate. I will share my glory with no other. Why? Because when I do, I cease being God. I and I alone are ultimate. Listen, this should provide us amazing comfort. I mean, we wrestle with this, and it may seem on the surface a little egocentric of God. I mean, he may seem to be a little narcissistic. How in the world can this God say it's all about him? I mean, is it really ultimately? Yes. 
It is, but there should be amazing comfort in the declaration that he will not share his glory with another. Why? Because now we know for sure, if you want security, if you want love, if you want identity, if you want to be set free, where can you look for that? It's in God and God alone. He is the only source of it. And it's such a comfort to know that I'm not going to share my glory with another because it will disappoint you. It will fail If God did share his glory with another, it would cause us to put our hope in that. That president, that leader, that pastor, that spouse, that child. And that child and that spouse and that president and that leader will fail. If God gave his glory to another, he's putting our hopes in something that's not ultimate. And it'll always disappoint, even ourselves. If God shared his glory with us in a sense that we were ultimate, he would cease being God. You see, think about this. I think we miss this. I really do. I think if we get this, it gives us whole new meaning and joy about serving Jesus. The greatest thing God can do, listen, the greatest thing God can do, the most ultimate thing for us is a loving, benevolent being. You ready for this? Is this. Fill the earth with his glory. The greatest thing God could do is to fill the earth with his glory. At a place where that every knee bows at his presence. Every knee acknowledges that he is ultimate. Every knee is under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. The greatest thing God could do is bring heaven on earth. And fill this place with his glory. That's the greatest thing he could do for himself and for us. Well, let's look at this. The grace of God to share his glory. He won't share his glory. Yet we read scripture and it says very clearly that the entire earth shall be filled with his glory. Interesting. Psalm 72, 19 will remind us that it was the plan of God from the beginning to fill the earth with his glory. It said, may the whole earth be filled with the glory of God. Interesting. Out of 1 Chronicles 16, 24, it says that all the nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation, all the nations shall be filled with the glory of God. We read Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation count. We really see from the very beginning, God created us as his image. He created us to multiply, to rule and reign. Why? To fill the earth with his glory. It's been God's plan from day one to create heavens and earth to be filled with the glory of God. That is his plan. That's also the purpose for us today. You ever wonder, what, why am I here? What, what am I to do? And what is my ultimate purpose? Well, according to Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Do for in the recognition that He is ultimate. That He is good. That his fame and his being is to be praised in all the nations. So whatever you do. So what's your purpose for today? What's your purpose for tomorrow? Next week? Two weeks from now? Christmas? What's your purpose? Whatever your hand finds to do, do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, fill the earth with his glory. And here's a beautiful thing. It's our guaranteed future. Does Jesus win? Was that tomb empty? Is history hanging in the balance? Is God up there wringing his hand saying, man, I hope this turns out okay. Man, they're building a mosque near ground zero. 
man, I'm not sure this is all going to work. I sure hope my plan is good enough, strong enough. I hope that my son's blood was effective enough. I hope the Holy Spirit is really powerful enough. I hope our people are faithful enough. I hope the church is beautiful enough. Isn't it great to know that it doesn't depend on us? (laughs) Man, heaven help us. And he has. When God opens up heaven and he shows us what it's going to be like with the new heavens and the new earth, guess what it's going to be like? The earth will be filled with his glory. Isaiah 6.3, the earth will be filled with his glory. Revelation 18.1, the earth will be someday filled with his glory. It's coming. Long for it. Lean into it. As the epistle of Peter says, let's live godly lives and really believe this stuff and let's speed the day of Christ to come so that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Because that's why we're created. That's why we are made. That's been the plan from day one. It's the plan from day, today. And it will happen. Isn't that good news? It shouldn't make us idle. It should make us excited. We aren't working on a task that will fail. We're working on a task to fill the earth with His glory that will succeed. The call of God to share His glory. See, that's our whole point. It's the God's call to share His glory. Well, How? How should we live our lives for God's glory? What do they really look like? Well, first of all, we've got to realize it begins with a relationship with Him and, and through His Son. Maybe you're here and you think that sharing His glory is going to church and doing good things. No, no, no. Romans 3.23 says this, For all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. Ready to this? All have sinned and all have fallen short of the what? The glory of God. Basically, all of us have lived our lives in such a way saying, you're not ultimate. You're not the heavy. You're not the mover and the shaker. I am. I'll make my own decisions. I'll live as God myself. And so we've got to start with new life. We've got to start with coming to Christ and being baptized in Him through faith. And say, make me a new creature. I've fallen short. I embrace that reality that I, I deserve wrath. Give me mercy and grace. So it begins with us, with a relationship with him and a new creation. But how? How is living for God's glory? I I wrestle with this. And really, you know what I think is a simple reminder for us? Listen. It's living out the reality of the Lord's prayer. Okay, Orangewood, here's the deal. It's living out the reality of the Lord's prayer in our lives. It's saying this. Thy kingdom, Jesus, thy kingdom come. Jesus, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's making God the heavy, the point of our lives. It's making God the authority of our lives, the the purpose and the meaning. And how is this lived out? It's it's, it's this way, Orangewood. If if we live out this, this kingdom of God, if we live out this prayer that thy kingdom have come it's living it out this way that that we live our lives that the ultimate beauty that we pursue is god listen it's living our lives pursuing the ultimate beauty not creation and not a creator but we live our lives pursuing the ultimate beauty god himself this is lived out when we live our lives under the ultimate authority in which we submit is god and god alone That he's the beauty that we pursue. He's the authority in which we bow. And it's not about us. 
This is lived out when God is the ultimate reality in which we live. Not my understanding or not my circumstances. Come on, don't, don't lose me here. God tells us something crazy in 2 Corinthians 5. He tells us that we're to walk, which really means live your life, by faith, not by sight. You've heard it, right? Hung around church long enough, you heard it. What in the world does that mean? It means this, that our circumstances and situation and the way we interpret things around us should not be ultimate. And this is hard for us who want to live in this modernistic or postmodernistic world where science is key and empirical data. You know what God is saying to us? Live your life with the belief that God is the ultimate reality and live there and live by faith there. I I I tell you, this is hard, and and it really is hard, and he's teaching me new things through this, because sometimes circumstances that are around me become ultimate reality, you know? And sometimes the thing I see is so much more real than the thing that God tells me is real. But if it's true that God is ultimate heavy, if it's true that I'm to live for His glory today, if it's true that His plan won't fail, if it's true that the whole earth will be filled with His glory, live in the midst of that reality. Because some of your realities are scary and hard right now. Some of the things you see are really difficult. God says, I'm ultimate. I will not share my glory. I will not lose. We are going to win. And my reality is what you should live. Friday, August 13th, was the anniversary of Hurricane Charlie. For many of us, that was the last good conversation we had with our neighbor. I thought about that after Charlie came through and Gene and Francis, and maybe I have them out of order, I... I uh, uh, able to put a little pigtail on our house to be able to hook up right a, a, a generator. Uh, so if it ever comes again, I'm ready for power. I'm ready to look, get that thing all lit up and all ready to go. I don't own a generator. So every once in a while when storms are brewing, I start going around and start mooching. Hey, how many generators? You got, I got a generator. I need a generator. I mean, come over to my house. I need a generator. But you know, can you imagine if, if a hurricane came through and we had a generator and, and the Jake's house was all lit up and all air conditioned and the Jake's house had nice refrigeration and, and nice... Um, uh, uh, freezers and everything going on. We had TV. We're just enjoying it. Can you imagine if we lived our lives and didn't care about our neighbors that we had power and they didn't? Can you imagine the audacity of having a generator humming, running, making all that noise and your neighbors are out there sweating and doing nothing? Wouldn't that be one of the most selfish things we could ever do? Can you imagine God turning the lights on in Christ Jesus to his people? Can you imagine that God would give us life and life abundantly and we're going to live our lives in our homes without telling our neighbors? Can you imagine the audacity of knowing the truth of what God is doing in this world, that we're living for his glory? And can you imagine if we kept it to ourselves? God has given us so much more than a generator. Would it be right for us not to share his glory with others? If God's glory was a fire... Are you adding fuel to the fire? Or is it something that you're supposed to sit around for yourself like you roast marshmallows? Or are you dousing the fire by living for yourself? Are you dousing the fire for living for something else? Materialism, pride, status, whatever. 
You see, a fire is an interesting thing. It consumes all that's around it. And, and really, it's kind of like a fire, the glory of God, because it's supposed to consume everything that's around it. It's supposed to eventually be contagious. It's supposed to be an epidemic that eventually actually gets to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we're to be adding fuel to that fire for the glory of God. And say, God, may the whole world burn for you. What are you doing? What are you doing in your home to add fuel to the fire for God's glory? What are you doing in your neighborhood with that generator that God's given you called New Life in Christ? What are you doing in your job? Here at the church. Is it right for a mosque to be built near ground zero? Should we have the glory of Islam right there? My brothers and sisters, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the building of God that He is placing near every ground zero that your neighbors walk on. Let your life be filled with the glory of God. May you live for the glory of God. May we never forget whose we are and what our ultimate purpose is. And one day we will no longer be the temple because the temple will not be needed because He will be with us and all of the earth will be filled with His glory. But until that day, temple of the Holy Spirit, you and I are to shine for Him. One day that day is coming, but today is the day of Elijah. This is our day to fill the earth with His glory. May he find his faithful. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for being a God who will not for a nanosecond share his glory, your worth as God, as creator, your worth and your, just in who you are and what you have done with anybody else. Thank you. Father, I don't know why in your infinite wisdom you choose to use your image right now today to accomplish this task of filling the earth with your glory. And I know that you're not waiting on us. And I know that one day you will accomplish this. But today you're saying, go and make disciples of all nations. Whatever your hand finds to do, do for the glory of God. Father, we live in a day and age and a time where mosques are being built at ground zero. And you're not up there wringing your hands. You said, I got my temple. I have my Holy Spirit in place. They're in my people. May we shine for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.